Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in our community pharmacy podcast, where we discuss topics relevant to the advancement of community-based pharmacy workforce, business, practice, and our profession. My name is Brooke Hudspeth, and I will serve as your host. Our guests today are Alex Swick and Shanna Whitewall. In this episode, we will be discussing the Institute for Safe Medication Practices, or ISMPs, 2023-2024 Targeted Medication Safety Best Practices for Community Pharmacy. Welcome, everyone. Thanks, Brooke. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm Shanna Whitwell. I work at Mississippi Baptist Medical Center. I'm the outpatient pharmacy manager there. I look forward to this discussion today. I do as well. My name is Alex Swick. I'm the manager of outpatient pharmacy services at Nationwide Children's Hospital, and I think there's some great content here for us to cover. Now, as part of our ongoing efforts to mitigate patient errors and support the role of community pharmacy practitioners in patient safety, today we will discuss a recent publication by ISMP on best practices for community pharmacies. This publication was released earlier this year and highlights a number of recommendations and actionable best practices that have been successful in various organizations. Shanna, can you tell us how these best practices are developed? Sure, Brooke. Uh, The ISMP best practices were reviewed by an external expert advisory panel. Each practice also includes references to related issues of the ISMP Medication Safety Alert the Community Ambulatory Care Newsletter. There's also a worksheet available to assist with the implementation of the 2023-2024 best practices, and there are five best practices total that we're going to cover in more depth today. Right. Thank you, Shanna. Um, So it sounds like there are numerous actionable recommendations that are provided in this document based on collected evidence. As you mentioned, there are five total practices described, and perhaps we can examine them one at a time. So, Alex, the first best practice is on standardized protocols that verify patient identifiers. Can you give us more insights as to what the recommendation covers and how we can implement those recommendations in practice? Yes, recommendation number one is to use a standard protocol to verify a patient's identity utilizing at least two patient identifiers when receiving a prescription to be filled, responding to patient-specific questions, providing filled prescriptions to patients at the point of sale, when delivering prescriptions to the patient's home, and prior to administering vaccines or other treatments. Further rationale for this is because roughly a quarter of the events ISMP has received involve patients ingesting the wrong medication. These reports are only the tip of the iceberg as a study conducted by ISMP found that the error happens about once for every 1,000 prescriptions dispensed. More specific actions included in this recommendation are to use at least two identifiers to verify patient's identity with the patient or caregiver, as well as with the provider or transferring pharmacy if receiving a phone order. Um, Having pharmacists and pharmacy technicians compare the stated identifiers to either the prescription pharmacy information system, prescription, or vaccine label. Employing technological enhancements at the point of sale that require pharmacy staff to electronically verify patient identity before the transaction can be completed. 
and at the point of sale, reviewing the pharmacy labels and contents of each prescription container with the patient to check that the patient's name and medications are correct. Managers should periodically perform quality control checks by observing the patient identification processes at various points in the workflow to ensure adherence to that standardized work practice. So the second best practice is on barcode verification, a topic that I think has been discussed in both inpatient and outpatient settings as a major focus for safety. Shanna, can you share with us some more information about this second best practice? Sure. So we know that implementation of barcode scanning has been shown to efficiently reduce medication errors, such as dispensing the wrong drug, strength, or dosage form. So the second best practice calls for installing and using barcode verification during production or the filling process to scan each drug or vaccine package used to fill a prescription. This is because there are some common errors due to lookalike packages and labels that are commonly reported to ISMP. We know that products can often have similar labels and graphics, as well as similar names and dosages, uh, which can easily lead to selecting the wrong product off the shelf to fill a prescription. Barcode scanning systems are designed to catch these types of medication errors and prevent them from reaching the patient. While many pharmacies already use barcode scanning, ISMP has received numerous reports that not all pharmacies have adopted this, but also for those pharmacies that do barcode scanning, there are barriers to maximizing the usefulness of it. Often these issues encourage staff to work around the technology safety features. Uh, For example, many times a unit of use product may not scan the same as a bulk product. Um, So, you know, oftentimes you'll just end up overriding the scanning there. Um, If you're using more than one manufacturer, but you can only scan one bottle. Um, Another workaround would be that often if you have two packages of the same drug, you'll scan the same package twice rather than each box. For example, insulin. Um, The best practices offer some ways to address these issues such as implementing a standard workflow process to ensure that we're generating prescription labels from one patient at a time, and then fill that patient's prescriptions before printing labels or before working on the next patient. Uh, There should also be a process in place to regularly review compliance and other metric data to assess the utilization and effectiveness of this safety technology. So looking at scanning compliance rates and bypassed or acknowledged alerts. Another idea is to periodically perform quality control checks by observing the process uh, processes involved in barcode verification during production to ensure that they're uh, being adhered to and standardizing those work practices. And last, actively solicit feedback about the barriers that may lead to workarounds uh, or to overriding the barcode scanning. That's some great information. Thank you, Shanna. So as we move on to the third best practice, it becomes a bit more specific and deals with methotrexate. So Alex, can you provide some context on this one for us and why methotrexate specifically? Yeah, the goal of this best practice is to prevent errors involving inadvertent daily dosing of oral methotrexate. Since early 1996, harmful and fatal errors have been reported to ISMP involving the accidental daily dosing of oral methotrexate that was intended for weekly administration. Prescribing errors tend to occur when practitioners who are familiar with prescribing medications for daily administration erroneously prescribe methotrexate daily instead of weekly. 
Dispensing errors occur in much the same way when pharmacy technicians and pharmacists inadvertently select or approve daily instead of weekly administration during order entry or verification. Patient errors have occurred when complex directions were misunderstood, while patient harm and fatalities have occurred with methotrexate during hospitalization. Many of these have occurred after discharge. Ongoing errors with oral methotrexate for non-oncologic use suggest that more needs to be done to reduce the risk of patient harm. It's important for community pharmacies to implement effective, proactive strategies so that the medication is dispensed with the proper dosage regimen. ISMP has specific guidance to ensure safe dispensing of methotrexate, including using a weekly dosage regimen default for oral methotrexate and electronic systems, requiring verification entry of an appropriate oncologic indication in order entry systems, creating a forcing function um, to ensure that every oral methotrexate prescription is reviewed with the patient or a family member when a prescription is dispensed, and providing specific patient or family education for all oral methotrexate prescriptions. Right, great. Thank you, Alex. That's some, um, some important uh, takeaways there, so we appreciate that. Um, next, we are going to move to discussions on standardized units of measure for oral medications. We have all definitely heard scientific and traditional measurements from patients and providers. So, Sheena, how does this recommendation address the inconsistencies? Yeah, so like you said, it's not the first time we've heard most of this. Um, ISMP first reported on the confusion of teaspoonfuls and milliliters in its newsletter in 2000. Uh, so it's been an ongoing concern for a very long time now. Um, in 2009, ISMP recommended the use of the metric system for measuring over-the-counter and prescription oral liquid doses, and then again in 2011. Uh, now, this best practice calls to standardize the use of milliliters as the unit of measure when prescribing, dispensing, and measuring oral liquid medications. It calls to completely eliminate the use of teaspoonful or tablespoonful or, or any other non-metric unit of measure. Um, to go along with this, ISMP recommends that pharmacies purchase and dispense oral liquid dosing devices like oral syringes that only display the metric scale. Uh, with that, we should also be educating patients using the teach-back method on how to accurately measure a dose of medication with the supplied metric-only dosing device. We know that confusion between teaspoon, tablespoon, milliliters, uh, teaspoon full, even drops in milliliters often contribute to dose and measurement errors involving liquid uh, medications. These errors can lead to serious adverse events and patient harm. So this best practice really pushes to address these inconsistencies and standardize the measurement. Okay, so as we then move to the last recommendation, recommendation five, it is a little more complicated as it encourages pharmacies to not only track their own error reports, but also consider common issues we might encounter from neighboring organizations. So Alex, can you tell us more about what the recommendation is and how a pharmacy would go about inquiring about error reporting systems outside of the premises of their own institution? In this fifth recommendation, ISMP is really encouraging pharmacy teams to learn from not only their own experiences, but also the experiences of their peers. To do this effectively, they're recommending that each organization does each of the following. First, identify reputable, reputable resources to learn about risks and errors that have occurred externally. They give examples that not only include ISMP, but also other patient safety organizations, state agencies, and accrediting bodies. Um, 
They also want you to establish a process for review of medication risks and errors reported by external organizations. The process should include a review of the pharmacy's current medication use systems, both manual and automated, and other data such as internal medication safety reports to determine any potential risk points that would allow a similar risk or error to occur within the pharmacy. Share the external and, and internal stories of risk and errors with all staff and all pharmacy locations if applicable, along with any changes to be made in the pharmacy to minimize their occurrence and then begin implementation. Um, and then also conduct short safety huddles daily or regularly to discuss pertinent safety issues. To establish a process for learning from external risks and errors, organization leaders really must identify reliable sources of information, establish a systematic way to review the information, assess the organization's vulnerability to similar events, and then determine a workable, actionable plan to address any of those vulnerabilities. So we have heard five different best practices, some of which are broad and others more specific. It is definitely not the first time that many of these items have surfaced in practice. Um, as we conclude today's podcast, I will turn to our speakers one more time to share which, if any of these recommendations resonate most with them and how they recommend organizations approach this list of best practices for improving safety. Okay, so to do this, I will turn it over to Shanna first, and then we will uh, move on to Alex for your thoughts. Yeah, I think these are all great recommendations that when utilized can greatly improve patient safety. Um, but I think the barcode scanning really resonates the most to me. Most pharmacies do already have this technology implemented, but we do often see these workarounds and shortcuts. And most of the errors that we see do come when those um, workarounds or shortcuts are taken. Uh, so from a management standpoint, I think utilizing reports and quality control checks to look for where those issues are coming from really just stands out. Um, it usually is problems that can easily be addressed and fixed within the system if the time is just taken to identify why the shortcut was needed. Uh, and I think the technology we have just has so much benefit to reducing errors and improving efficiency that we should always be looking for ways to uh, improve and maximize those capabilities. And then for me, I think all of the recommendations resonate with me because I've seen how they can truly impact patient care in my area. However, if I had to choose one, it would be number five. To me, the actions recommended here speak to an organization's safety culture. If you ask any pharmacist how important medication safety is, I think they would tell you ensuring safety is one of, if not the most important parts of their role. Despite that, though, many organizations still don't dedicate enough time to proactive assessment and problem solving when it comes to patient safety. Too often, the safety culture is primarily reactive rather than proactive. So I think best practice number five is a great opportunity for organizations to ask themselves how much time they're dedicating to proactive and safety planning. That's all the time we have today. Um, I want to thank our speakers for joining us today to discuss the Institute for Safe Medication Practices or ISMP's 2023-2024 Targeted Medication Safety Best Practices for Community Pharmacy. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to visit ASHP's Community Pharmacy Practitioners at ashp.org forward slash SCPP. In it, you can find member-only content such as Community Pharmacy Resource Center, ASHP's patient-focused safe medication site, and more. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Community Pharmacy Podcast. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. 
be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP of